Hello, beautiful people. Before we get started, I need to thank a new Patreon patron. Thank you, Ryan Brazil, or Brazil. I'm not sure. Patreon doesn't come with a pronunciation guide. One's a country, and one is the way my high school gym teacher pronounced his name, so... Anyway, thanks, Ryan. We'll just go with Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. And if you want to be like Ryan, you can go to patreon.com slash originalcastpod to become a patron of the original cast. When you support this podcast, you also gain access to over 20 episodes of our bonus podcast, The Original Cast at the Movies. Again, patreon.com slash originalcastpod. All right, here's the show. Whenever my world falls apart... I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on, darlings, you Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is the executive creative content director at Signature... I tried. I took a run at it. He works at Signature Theater in the marketing department. I like and he's a performer though. and a writer. Was executive wrong? No, it was totally wrong. Oh, man. But okay. I like it better. That's good. I'm going to go into my office Put it tomorrow in and, and say... Scratch the word executive yep, on you. I think it's exactly. James Gardner, everybody. Hi, everybody. How you doing? Great. I'm really good. good. to see you. Thank you for I'm coming I'm excited down. to do this. Good. I'm glad you're this excited. It's been a long time it's coming. It's been a long time Very coming. Very long time coming. Yeah. And but I remember you, the first time you reached out to me to do it's like one of these two or three years yeah. ago. Yeah. And I was like, what? Pod- Nobody listens to podcasts. <laughs> and now all I do is listen to podcasts. Right. So, Got including even, this one. This is oh, a good. I, I I'm love this one. I'm glad you listened. Great. Because you're here to talk about Merrily We Roll Along. How did you get there from here, Mr. Shepherd? What did you have to go through? back to Merrily. Paul Scanlon did Merrily. Oh, he did? Like four years ago. And so, oh, yeah. He yeah, didn't know. He didn't know a thing. And now we're here <laughs> to bring it back again because it's great. What did, uh, yeah. how did Merrily We Roll Along come into your life? Um, I discovered Merrily when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I thought Sondheim was weird in high school. I didn't really, mm. I didn't really attach to much of his work. I remember, you know. What were was, you, what musicals were you listening to? In I school? had, I, I knew Into the Woods mm-hmm. and I knew Sunday in the Park, which I thought was just fucking weird. Sure. And I knew a couple of the other ones as well. Like, I, I was familiar with Pacific Overtures. I was familiar with Follies. And I, just nothing really connected. And sure. I remember hearing Merrily for the first time and going, oh. And I mean, that's his most accessible score, yeah. in my opinion. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And his from most then, humble I, score. I really believe from then on, I became a huge. And then I went back and like reexamined. You know, I think I fell in love with Sweeney after that, mm-hmm. and then, and then, I mean, now I consider Sunday in the Park to be his, right. his, you know, a perfect and, musical. Right. But I think in high school I was more into like, you know, I liked Ragtime. I was gonna say, what were you? I liked Les Mis. I okay. liked uh, Rent. Oh, that's interesting. And so, what was? I mean, yeah, I agree. I think this is absolutely his most, like, quote unquote, hummable yeah. score. It's so funny that it 
is the second like shortest running show he had on Broadway to right. me, f- mainly for that reason that I think that it's just like th- there are a lot of you know tap toe tapping fun happy numbers and, yeah, exactly. and it's just yeah it, obviously and you've got those great Jonathan Tunick orchestrations oh, yeah. and that I mean that overture too that, oh it's like, amazing there's nothing as electric as that overture. yeah which they have not really touched, right, in every revision of the show? No, no. Well, I mean, it's a definitely every revision of it gets it's reduced and reduced and reduced. Well, that's true. I mean, even that, um, what is it, the York Theater Company mm-hmm. version of the, the recording is mm-hmm. definitely like synth-centric. That's true. Which is yeah. why I really like this recording. It's like, you know, oh, yeah. it's that like That big, full Broadway. Grassy, yeah, exactly. That full Broadway orchestra. Yeah. Right, coming. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, I, I I I love this show. So have you seen it? I, mean, I assume you saw it at the Kennedy Center. I did see in it. In 02, yeah, right? I okay. saw it at the Sondheim Celebration, and then I got to do it at this at Signature. Oh, okay. I was in the ensemble, and I understudied Frank, and I got to go on for Frank four times. Oh, wow. Um, which was crazy, because Will Garcher played piano on stage um, as Frank. Oh, wow. And so when I went on, I also had to play piano, and I'm not nearly as good of a piano player wow. as Will. Um, so like he, he he was playing during like the audition yeah. sequence and good thing and going the very, and all the, that the overture like he oh, really? the first thing he did was he walked on stage and played the dun 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 oh wow and uh, right after the overture mm-hmm. so it's going into merrily yeah um, so yeah I got to do that and I directed it at George Mason University last year oh okay so I have a lot of yeah experience, lot of experience and love with this w- for this show we're was there any substantial writing changes between among those three productions that you like, or was it um, pretty much the same version? It was pretty much all? the same okay. version. I think once, once Sondheim got to, I believe that York theater production, that's pretty much become until this recent well, that's what I was gonna revival. Say. Yeah. When he sort of let them back in it and to re-examine it. Yeah. Um, I mean, George Firth died and I know when that yeah. happened, he kind of, shut it down yes in, in a lot of ways because yeah i mean god god bless him but the score is not the problem with this show no no um, but i mean listen i'm one of the people that yes it's flawed absolutely oh sure i'm not under any delusion that it, that it you know that it yeah, isn't yeah. but it's not as flawed as i think people make it to be and i also think the problem with merrily is that everybody comes into it going i'm going to I'm going to fix this. Oh, 100% agree. I'm yeah. going to fix this show and I'm going to make it better. Mm-hmm. I think at some point you have to just embrace the show for what it is. And and I think it's it's beautiful. And having done it at, at George Mason with a group of college kids, mm-hmm. I pretty firmly believe now that it works better with young people. Sure. I don't think you can do it with – I just don't I, – I, hearing our time at the end of the show with a group of young artists who mm-hmm. literally believe what they're singing right there's nothing as heartbreaking as that mm-hmm. they don't think it's heartbreaking but right. when, when a group well, of but adults, that's why right when a yeah, group of yeah. adults get on stage and they do it and they're already aware of how you know warped your dreams get over time and mm-hmm. how you do compromise and how you do make changes um it feels put on yeah and feels- you know i used to i had um instant messenger in college 
and my away message. You know uh, how you got love, to like oh, have the little, sh- the little oh, bio? Oh, I sure do, man. And everybody, it was like, you know, that was oh, like yeah. your, you know. That was your statement to the world. Your manifesto. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I wrote was that last line at the end of the show that Frank says as his valedictorian speech, which I think is... Um, my final thought is a simple but mighty thought. It is the obligation we have been given. It is to not turn out the same. It is to grow, to accomplish, to change the world. And I believed every word of that. Yeah. And I and mean, there's an element of me that's still, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, totally, absolutely, so, sure, that should be the goal. Sure. But I didn't, there's a, there's a certain amount of youthful arrogance oh, yeah. that goes into absolutely buying into that yeah. um, 100%. <laughs> Well, so that's interesting. And not seeing the irony in it. So let's let's do a quick, for everybody, people who may not know, a quick plot synopsis. Because sure. I really want to dig into that a little bit more with you um, as somebody who's seen it twice, worked on it, tw- yeah, or seen yeah. it once and worked on it twice. Um, so could you give a quick back of the DVD plot synopsis sure. for Merrily We Roll Along? So Merrily We Roll Along is the story told in reverse. So you meet the characters at the end of their story and the end of the show is the beginning of their story. So you really see this friendship of, of Frank Shepard, uh, Mary Flynn, Flynn and Charlie Kringis. <laughs> Any guesses and, why I know the, her last yeah, name? Yeah, exactly. Um, and you see this friendship and uh, you see its demise in, in reverse mm-hmm. is the, the short synopsis. No, that's a show. good that's a good synopsis for that. Um so my, the thing that I've struggled with with the show, uh, every time I've seen it and and from listening to it and having seen, have you gone on YouTube and watched the original Broadway? Production? I actually went to the the oh, library. You, went, you did it legit. Okay, yeah. good for you. Yeah. Um, so one thing that has always bothered me about the revisions mm-hmm. is that it seems that they except for maybe the last one, which I don't know a ton about, they kind of take the teeth out of it yeah, a little bit. Because one thing I really like about the original Broadway production is how it it cuts really hard at things. I mean, like, because the big one being the song that that has been omitted that I think is, is, a, is a crime is, is Rich and Happy. Right. Life is swinging. Skies are blue and bells are ringing Every day I wake up singing Look at me, I'm rich and happy Days are sunny Working hard for lots of money Filled with people smart and funny Filled with people rich and happy And also cutting the the framing device, I think is a mistake. with the hills of tomorrow. With the hills yeah, of yeah. tomorrow, I do think that's that's an. I see why yeah. they did it, but I, I I kind of. I don't think you can do it unless you do it with young actors. Right, that is one reason. Yeah, yeah, uh, but it is. It gives it. There's there's a certain, like you say, mournfulness and cynicism. Yeah. To the way the show begins, that slowly evaporates as yeah. the show goes on, and. In in the versions that have come out since, with with you know songs like that, Frank, mm-hmm. don't quite, yeah, because it also. I mean, to me, it's not. It's I've come to appreciate that Frank mm-hmm. having you know every. It's not a bad song. I mean, every version of it that I've done has, has had, had that, that Frank. Party! Oh, that Frank. 
The guy is too much. Hey, the party's inside. Uh, Frank, you like the picture? The platinum touch. How about some champagne, huh? Here's tastiest talent. Is he the best? Plus a fine head for business. The man is blasted. Rat Frank. So what do you do? He's full of advice. I drink. Rat Frank. No, no, no. What do you really do? And God, is he nice? I really drink. What a friend. What a host. And his work is great. Has a wife who is gorgeous. A son who's straight. He's the type you could easily learn to hate. That Frank. But it's not as good of a song as Rich and Happy. And there's something about Rich and Happy that... Yeah, these people are they're they're jerks, you know, and mm-hmm. and uh, I mean the argument that that is made every time I've I've listened to an interview with Sondheim is that it's very hard to connect to these characters off the bat if they're that unlikable. Sure, which I get. So if you don't know where the show is going, you're like, oh my god, am I going to sit here for two hours with these characters that are just completely unlikable? Um, but I don't know. Well, I think I, there are ways. I think there are ways around that. And I also think, I think the show, like most good shows, is very delicate. And in mm-hmm. the hands of the wrong actor, yeah, it can fall apart. Quick. And director, yeah, and, it can yeah. Really and crumble. I think that the role of Frank is so important. And if the actor playing the role of Frank is playing it as, well, I'm just cocky and I'm I'm a right. jerk. Like it's. Um, it's just not going to you're never going to get on board with him. Yeah. And I and I think too often I've seen actors do it where they really lean into the fact that this guy is full of himself. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a character trait of his that he is full of himself, but at the same time he's still he's still he he's that boy on the roof. And that's the thing that you have to remember is that he is he's a dreamer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you buy, if you buy I mean, into if you buy into why he's doing what he does, if he's he's desperate to achieve this dream and he's also he thinks it's in the best interest of his friends and his friendship um, and he sees everybody else is compromising, then I think you buy into Frank a little bit more. It's not like desperate to achieve the dream. He's desperate to achieve the dream right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's constant moments where he is when he compromises. It's usually because it's the easier and also. There's somebody standing in front of him who's who is more successful than him going, no, no, what you want to do right. is this. Right. And he goes, oh, great. And Charlie and Mary yeah. are both like, no, 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 no. Yeah. We want to do that. And right. he sort of makes the clear decision. We're like, no, they're already where we want to be. Right. Why would I like let's follow their advice? And it leads him down this path where he's nowhere. I mean, and that the big thing that is said in the graduation sequence that's lost to me is the line like. You know, I used to write music, or you may remember. Well, you may not remember, yeah. but you may like. But like, people don't remember where they were even headed at your yeah. age. And it's like he doesn't understand how sad that sentence oh, is totally. in that, and also how dumb that thing yeah. that is to say yeah. to a bunch of eighteen-year-olds. <laughs> exactly. Um, but he. But that's the funny thing is I listened to that recording recently and mm-hmm. what he's saying to the students and going, I don't necessarily totally disagree with you, as someone who has been knocked well, down. Well, right. Like. I get the that I don't think he's a jerk in the way that the the high schoolers view him as this old guy who's getting up there and just right. you know being crotchety and telling them that they need to compromise and do this and that. Yeah. When it, what he's really doing is trying to protect them. And if you view it in that in that way, if you view it through that lens, I think he's a much more likable. That's character. funny. I don't. I never viewed it as him 
trying to protect them. It seemed to me like he was trying to excuse away. Like that's possible too. Ex- like to me, the scene is always about a guy comes back to where he started and suddenly realizes how far he is from where he wanted to go. Oh, totally. I see. And that. is now saying to the kids, like, no, no, th- this is. It, what I did was correct. Like I made mm. all the right choices because like life isn't about doing the best. It's about doing the best you can, which, well, that's just, I, I kind of, I hate him already then. Well, you but know what I mean? But so, I don't, I see that's, it's, it's funny in how like, I mean, that scene's not in there in the show gone. anymore. No, so it's, I, well, it's on this recording yeah. though. So we're, yeah. you know, we can stick with it. <laughs> we can dream, James, we can dream. Um, there's a funny story because you know, uh, Jane Pesci Townsend. Yes. And she got the rights to do it. She tried. She, oh, she didn't get. She him. didn't get them. Oh, I no, she did. She oh, wrote okay. to Sondheim to get the rights, and he wrote back and he's said, like, "No." He's like, "I don't know why anyone would want to do the original production <laughs> of it because the original Broadway production was performed at Catholic, right? Right after it closed on Broadway, right? And that was the only time, as far as I know, it was performed outside of of the in Alvin that, Theater. Yeah, it it yeah. was. It was just in that version because it was almost immediately gobbled up and taken to La Jolla, right? Like and pretty. They did it at Arena. Right. With Victor Garber and uh Yeah. Marin Maisie and Oh man. God them oh man. <laughs> yeah. Would have paid money to see that. Yeah. Absolutely. Um I mean Victor Garber it's a good I bet he did a good Frank. It's funny that like I wonder how much because like you're saying the stuff I'm saying about Frank makes you dislike him. It doesn't it makes me it makes me pity him. Like I don't necessarily I never disliked Frank as a character he always just like he made me sad not in a way that like yeah like makes me angry one of the things i don't like about that frank is i feel like when you lose the thing i like about rich and happy is when he's like well you must admit the movie's terrible And it's this clear indication that like he went the wrong way and it's it's not going to work. Right. That Frank always feels a little bit more like it's going very, very well. Right. And Frank is everyone likes Frank and Frank's doing he he is just himself, not where he started out. But it seems like in the rewrites, they also made Mary a lot worse in that Frank. Oh, in totally. that scene. Like she's a lot more drunk. She's a lot more right. abusive. She's a lot more. And so it's almost like in Rich and Happy, Frank is less likable and Mary's like here. Right. And they like seesawed it. And now Mary is totally unlikable in that, like an unsympathetic. And then because the whole song's about how great yeah. Frank is. Yeah. So it still doesn't quite get me where, where I want to yeah. go. And the fascinating thing too, is in that original production, um, the second scene is uh, oh the scene at the restaurant the scene at the restaurant yeah. where she sings why can't it be like it was yeah which is a response to the fight at the tv studio right and in the new versions that happens before the tv studio right incident which is interesting to me because i'm not sure it works better the new way than it yeah. did the old way i mean that restaurant scene is 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 rough oh yeah but yeah i mean there's a lot about that the original original george firth book like those like uh, little monologues that happened uh, during the the merrily roll along transitions. Yeah. I mean, it just it it seems like they did a lot of things in that original productions and threw a lot of band aids on because what it, 
what it looks like to me, at least as an outsider, um, is that Hal's concept didn't work. Yeah. And I'm not talking about casting young actors. I'm no, talking no. About the physical the production, physical production was just of it didn't work. this yeah. huge, you know. And it's kind of hard to tell on the video since the video is just well, but the video impossible to watch. It is very hard to watch. But the video <laughs> isn't even the the original, like the way mm-hmm. it opened in previews. Mm-hmm. Like it opened in previews with full costumes and yes. like a bigger set. And then they added and the then sweatshirts. they. S- stripped it all away because that wasn't like the from what I, my reading has indicated that like his original concept was a lot closer to what ended up on stage but he was sort of like well i can't charge broadway prices for something so bare bones yeah so we gotta flush it up and they flush it up and then people couldn't follow the story at all right. i really like the sweatshirts i think the sweatshirts are bold sure like sure. I, know, I know nobody does it anymore <laughs> but i do really like how clear they are yeah. that it's just it shows you you know, he's Mr. Shepard and then he's, the, you know, like it, it shows yeah. you the relationships they all have to each other, which is the most important part yeah. of the story more than like. I guess my problem with it, though, is I I watch it and I go, it to me feels like you're talking down to the audience a little bit. Like, yeah. I'm like this story is really hard to follow. But apparently it is like apparently what the, Maybe the, it the is. wild I, responses yeah. were always just like people didn't understand that it was running backwards. Yeah. And like even subsequent productions like at La Jolla, La Jolla oh, yeah. Arena, that was still even a now big when I directed yeah. it at Mason, there was a big concern of like People, how do we make it clear, right? And I think that there's a there. It's gotten to the point now where where you know people are familiar enough with the show that you don't you have to do so. as much work, right? But yeah. I don't know. I don't think I ever had any issue with it. I know, but maybe, but I always knew. But I knew that's the problem. The, that yeah, that was I, the, I'm a bad sample size yeah. because I always knew it was backwards. Right. So, but here's my my big question for the mm-hmm. for the first half of this conversation, yeah. which is why is it backwards? Do you think? Have you ever read the original play? Or no, I've not. Either, no, okay. I'm not. Um, which is also backwards. The play it's based on runs backwards as well. Well, I remember. I mean, I this isn't my own thought on it, but I. I uh, I'm blanking on his name right now, who played Charlie Kringus in the original. Lonnie, Lonnie Price. Price. Um, you know, he says in the documentary at the very beginning mm. of that uh, best worst thing that ever could have happened yeah. documentary, he says that life is life is lived forward, but is best understood, understood backwards, backwards mm-hmm. which I think is a is a pretty... I, I do think that that is why. I also, I also think the show... <laughs> Who would care if that was the end of the show? If the show ended oh, sure. with with Frank being an abject with that failure, Frank, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, how would you? Okay, I mean, oh, it's I, true. Sure, the show would be structured differently. I imagine. Yes, um, and you could jump around, but there's something about them being on the roof at the end of the show and seeing where where they went that is just so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah. So is it more just the understanding of like, well, as the lyric says in Merrily We Roll Along, like, how did you ever get there from here? Right. Which is, you know, sort of obviously setting up the idea. But it is, I mean, if it is that, explore, it's an exploration of how like three friends can be no friends. I yes. guess part of the problem is, is that we, but you... we never like really get to see them except, I guess for It's a Hit, they're happy. But like there's, we... we one of my big problems with also the way it starts is the fact yeah. that, that Charlie isn't there. Sure. Which he can't be. Like right. the way the story's written. Right. But it, it sort of feels like like he says in um like it was, he says, We're not the three of us anymore, we're one and one and one. Right. 
which is a terrible thing also to say to Mary in that moment. But like, that's kind of how I want the show to start. I want it to start with one and one and one, and then they draw back in yeah. and then they go. Yeah. And so maybe it's also the fact that I don't necessarily think, I mean, Frank is the the center, but I don't view it as Frank's story no, I necessarily. Don't, I don't either. So I, I kind of wish it started with the three of them in separate places. And yeah. then we draw in, yeah. in that sort of way. Well, I, when we did it at George Mason, mm-hmm. we, I made because sometimes I think that the opening merrily becomes this like amorphous blob. It feels like the blob. Yeah. And you don't. It's well, just that's like, how it was staged when they did a Kennedy yeah. Center with walking the piano with around walking the, the stage, and stuff. which really did feel like I mean, it was an, it was nice. Yeah. But it really did feel like what is this what song is going about? On? What is yeah, it about? Right. So, I mean, like when we did it, I wanted to make sure that it was very clear that these are the, two, the three people mm-hmm. that we are following. And, you know, and and. The way we sort of uh, uh, conceptualized it was that he started the show at the piano af- after the you know the the party had mm-hmm. dispersed and he's alone, and then he remembers his friends, mm-hmm. and then his friends sort of take him back on this journey. So he's definitely sort of our lens. He is the definitely the center. Yeah, like like I so, said. Yeah, but I think you do have to be clear up front that these are the three people you're following. Right. So. Because then, when when Charlie comes in in scene two, yeah, it, it, like, it, this it is a little jar. That's yeah. never something I thought about until I watched the video of the Broadway production. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, what is he doing yeah. here? And it isn't until like two scenes later where you go, oh, I understand what that means. And I don't mind too much of that, but like it just right. always feels like the show kind of gets off on the wrong foot. Right. Um, which I partially do wonder is well, partially. I mean, one of the things is one of Charlie, I believe is an invention of the musical. I don't remember if it's three friends in the musical or just two. In the in the play. In the play, in I'm the, sorry. In the, in the Kaufman know. and Hart play. I don't I don't remember. I've read that at some like yeah. what the, the differences were. Have you heard speaking of the original play, have you ever heard the story about so I, I believe if I'm remembering this correctly, sure. it was during the depression that yeah. the the stage the the play was staged. There were so many out of work actors at the time that they wanted to make that Gussie party scene massive. They hired actors. I think they had like close to 80 actors on stage for that party scene. And they would just bring actors in for what is essentially like a small honorarium. And they got actors equity to agree to it. Mm -hmm. And so this, it was like this massive party scene that they had on stage every single night. That's amazing. (laughs) I thought that was crazy. That's I heard that. That is nuts. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. Larry, Red, Larry Redmond told me that. So yeah. He could have been lying. Sure. Well, let's say it's true. It's a good print the legend. <laughs> but Larry, he seems like a guy that would know that. Yeah. I yeah. feel good about that. I'll take that source. <laughs> that feels great. I like that story a lot, actually. Uh, it, Yeah. So, like, the, but I wonder also how much, I mean, because you, you've done Company as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so you've done both Sondheim Firth yeah productions and both, both somewhat problematic books well but. so but that's my thing like i really feel peter's uh peter sagel from uh uh wait wait don't tell me once postulated on twitter that company was the had the greatest disparity between quality of score and quality of book Interesting. he was just like is there is there a musical with a worse book and a better score <laughs> or vice versa he said like what and that was until he said that not ever something i thought about i've directed company like i did yeah. and i was always just like i was very young when i did. It was 21 when i directed company yeah. i was too young but i was like <laughs> but i was always i never really thought about the book of company before in any yeah. kind of serious way and i went back and read it yeah it's right and then i've it, seen it like three times since then and i was like yeah this is not a 
great yeah. book. And I don't think Merrily has a great yeah. book either. Listen, I have the utmost sympathy for book writers in general. Sure. What what book writers have to do is 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 make uh, it's the hardest job. It's a maze. It's the hardest. It, it is though. It's no, a maze, it, and it's a it's in a, a lot of ways. It is. Yeah. And um. And I also think of the shows that that Sondheim wrote. George Firth was, you know, ch- challenged with the the hardest. Uh, oh sure. Structures. I mean, right. And I do feel like it was unfair to sort of throw such a big responsibility on George Firth for Merrily mm-hmm. and then just open because the show was not taken out of town mm-hmm. at all. It, it, it opened straight into previews. Well, it's like they said in the, they did their original table read of it and they were enamored. I mean, they thought yeah. it was perfect. Apparently they did not know it was a problem until yeah. the first preview. Yeah. Like nobody had a clue. Yeah. And that is an experience I can relate to. Like when yeah. you get in front of an audience for the first time and you go, oh, no. no. <laughs> yeah. That's not what we thought was happening. Yeah. Um, well, that goes to show like how much do, pe- do people have to know about that show before they walk into that show? And right. how much of that show works on a second viewing that doesn't work on the first yeah. viewing? If you know exactly where they're going to end up at the end, mm-hmm. how heartbreaking is that show throughout? Oh, sure. So, yeah. I mean, maybe it, it is a show that works on multiple I mean every time I watch that show every time I've seen it show, yes there's so much more there there's and, and the crazy thing about that show too that I love about Merrily is that it the older you get yeah it's so different mm-hmm. the way you experience that show is so so different yeah yeah than the way I experienced that show when I was you know uh, 17 years old mm-hmm. you know when I heard our time for the first time I think my, if I'm remembering correctly, my reaction was yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We are going to change the world. We are the movers. We are the shapers. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. And now I listen to that, and it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. Kids will do that to you. Exactly. I think it's a lot of that. <laughs> There's. I mean, it's a great, it, but it. And it, it's all, but it's also the funny thing of like. One of the things that the people have said about company is that one of the problems with it is is that it's a story about straight romance written by two closeted gay men. <laughs> and I think maybe one of the problems with Merrily is that it's a show about compromisers written by, including Hal Prince and Wildly that, successful. And uncompromising yes. people. I mean, it's yes. like, I think that, you know, especially Sondheim, but also Hal Prince to, I mean, Greg, was a you know, maverick run around kind of artistic force and, mm-hmm. He had, yes, was wildly successful. Yeah. George Firth was doing fine. Like, everybody's doing great. Exactly. And they suddenly come People into People who this. didn't compromise one bit. Right. And yeah. they suddenly come into this material. And ironically, from what it sounds like, don't compromise on what they're writing. And then it becomes a huge problem. Uh, I don't think they, they necessarily either agreed on what they were writing. Because no, Sondheim has said yeah. that he didn't know it was a show about friendship until later. Yeah. He believed it was a show about a person who works within the system, a person who doesn't work within the system, and a person who uh, just doesn't even get involved with the system. He's outside the system, yeah. Um, and hmm. George Firth thought it was about friendship. I think George Firth was right. Yeah. I mean, I think that, Oh, I agree, too. Yeah. I, think, I, I mean, Sondheim's view on it is is pretty academic. His, well, but his view on his own work is oh, tends to always be, fascinating yeah, to yeah. me, with the exception of Sweeney Todd, 
which seems to be the only show that he had like a very clear idea yeah. in sync with everybody else about what it yeah. was about. But yeah, every time Sondheim like talks about his shows in the moment, like if you watch in the moment interviews, like it does seem like he doesn't really know <laughs> what he's writing. He's just sort of writing. Which is fascinating because that does so not d- doesn't translate in the work itself. Not at all. No. I mean, it's just. I mean, mm-hmm. I always every I teach a musical theater performance class, mm-hmm. and I always use his music and his work as an example. Sure. Of, look how brilliant! Look how the the underscoring is serving as subtext to what's happening in the lyric, and like I mean, it's like it's. Yeah, clear how how brilliant the man is. Yeah. So when you think to yourself, well, maybe he didn't know a hundred percent what he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's got a lot of great, got a great instincts. Obviously, <laughs> his approach to things is always very intellectual. But it's just so funny that, like you say, he didn't know he was writing a show about friendship, and then you have a song in it like "Old Friends" or yeah. even like "Franklin Shepherd Inc.," which is, I mean, it's a breakdown song, obviously, mm-hmm. but. It is a song about a guy really getting to the heart of what's wrong with his best friend. Right. Like, it's very clear to me what's wrong with this right. guy. And because the, the, the line that makes me cry when I see the show, honestly, is when he says, Listen, he does the money thing very well. But you know what? Other people do it better. And he does the music thing very well. And you know what? No one does it better. Still, the telephones blink and the buzzers buzz, and I really don't know what he does, but he makes a ton of money, and a lot of it for me, right? So I think, okay, and I start a play, and he somehow knows, because right away, it's during! Hiya, buddy, want to ride a show? Got a great idea. We'll own all the rights with a two-week out and a turnaround on the guarantee plus a gross percent of the billing clause, and there I am in California, talking deals and turning Back in business, and I mean just that. Back with Franklin Shepard, Inc. Very sneaky how it happens. Much more sneaky than you think. Start with nothing but a song to sing. Next, you're Franklin Shepard. Wait. Could we wait a minute here? Because I'm getting in too deep. The thing you see is we're not that kind of close anymore. The way we used to be. And a friendship's like a garden. You have to water it and tend it and care about it. And you know what? I want it back. And it's painful. But that's a part. I mean, Franklin Shepard, again, is a perfect example of how delicate this show is. Mm -hmm. Because if the person playing Charlie performs that song out of a place of anger. Yeah. It falls apart Mm -hmm. as opposed to somebody who's like, I am trying to get through to you. And I feel like the only way I can do that is here Mm -hmm. in public. Cause you don't listen to me when we're in the dressing room. Right. Before the camera. How am I going to, you know, but you're not going to leave now. There's an element where the show, where the song goes off the rails and he's in his own headspace. Oh, sure. But, but it has to start. But it has to come from a place of love. Yeah. And the whole show has to come from a place of, these are people, yes. you have to remember that they love each other. You have to remember where they came from. Which is another reason, like you As say. As the actors. Which is another reason of advantage to having younger people do it. Yeah. I, I think that y- the great thing about younger actors can be that they are 
unencumbered by their own intellectual process. Yeah. They're not, they have no training to get in the way sometimes, not all the time. I mean, obviously training is very important, Yeah, but you know, they're not thinking about all the other stuff and bringing their whole life experience to it. You know, right. they're just like, Oh, this is a scene about this and I'm going to play that. And <laughs> it's a song about this and I'm going to play that. And isn't this a fun song to play? Yeah. And every now and again you go, okay, just dial it back a little yeah. bit. Cause they're yeah. music theater kids and <laughs> they go to a certain level. <laughs> But it, that's important. Like that's what I want out of a performer, especially for a show like this, where yeah. since it's happening in reverse, oddly, you kind of have to play it with like everything starting from zero. Yeah, because the audience is starting from zero. The audience doesn't know where we came from. Right. You know the you know where you came from, but the audience doesn't, and so you kind of have to like very clearly jump into it with like in a totally different place than where you ended the last scene. You're not yeah. building. You're kind of subtracting. Exactly. And that is. I think like a more trained professional actor could get lost a little bit in the minutia of that. Whereas a a kid's going to be like, all right, now I'm 20. Great. Great. 20. Yeah. I don't know what that means because I'm 18, but it's, but I'm 20, you know? And I think that's what Hal and Sondheim were trying to do too. I think they succeeded. Also, I think that original Broadway cast is out. I think some of those performances are incredible. Yeah. Jim Walton. I think and, Jim Walton's and, great. And Lonnie Price, Price is great, is obviously. Yeah. I mean, Jason Alexander, of course, but like even Giancarlo yeah. Esposito's in that cast is obviously well, John, tremendous. John, Jason Alexander has also been like a forty-year-old man his entire, his entire life. life. Yes. Like you watch, you literally watch. You watch him, him with in the people, and you're I like, know. man, you are. How old are you? Yeah. There's George Costanza. It's because he is. You've always been George. You've Costanza. always been George Costanza. <laughs> it's so funny to watch him do. But also the other people in that in that ensemble. Tanya Pinkins. Oh yeah, uh, David Loud. Yeah, David Loud. And uh, who's the detective from Usual Suspects? Oh, Giancarlo Esposito. Yeah, who's yeah. also in Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, he has the first lines yeah. in the show. And the, just yep. so you guys know, that's Gus Fring who says. Now it is my privilege to introduce our distinguished alumnus who wrote that song here 25 years ago, the great songwriter and film producer, Mr. Franklin Shepard. <laughs> Oh, yeah, time has borne out yeah. that this cast is oh, remarkably talented. Because yeah. also, especially considering, as Jason Alexander has said since, that like when this show closed, he had trouble getting work for a little while. Oh yeah, because it was a it was a flop, and that is a problem. Mm-hmm. Like as in in your career, he's also at the time twenty, I think, or twenty one. I mean, he's very young yeah, he's also, young. so it's kind of a you don't know how much of it is is which and what. But I mean, he was again only. Seven years away from winning his Tony Award, right. I think. Like he for was, Jerome Robbins, for Jerome Robbins Broadway. Broadway. I know. Gosh, you wish he won for something better. <laughs> and then, how far away was he from Seinfeld? After Seinfeld that? was then, ninety-one, right? Yeah. So I mean, he's, so he works in like seven-year chunks. In chunks, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. good. He. Uh, then there's George of the Jungle. Was he in George of the Jungle? No, he was. He was in Dunstan Checks In. Dunstan Checks In. Is that what you're thinking? Of? That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, I think they had. They were on the right track. I think they would have benefited from a different development process yes i don't think going out of town would have been the right answer because i think the show may never have come to new york like i think it might have closed out of town um but it feels like a show that would should have been downtown yeah for a little while and then moved its way up but of course that that system of doing things was in its infancy and i don't think it's something how prince would have been at all interested in doing and yeah. why would I mean he was in the third decade of his career like let the man man works however he wants to work right so well this this is hang on let me see where we are yeah no please okay yeah all right we're here so <laughs> one thing 
as you alluded to in the emails to me about this show and picking this show, and uh-huh. you've alluded to a little bit here for yourself, is that there are elements and aspects of both the show itself and the production, the original Broadway production, yeah. that bear personal connection yeah. to you yeah. in a large breadth because of Glory Days, mm-hmm. which you wrote the book for. Right. And one of the biggest flops in Broadway history. Look at this field. Look at this perfect field. The possibilities are endless here. Just white lines, no boundaries to hold us here. Except for time and so much history. Imagine what has happened here. All the stories, games that have been won, and friends having fun coming back for one perfect night. Right here. It ran for, I like to say, everybody's like, it ran for one night. Well, it actually, it ran for like 18 previews. Right. Those count, guys. There were some shows that didn't even make it out of previews. So, um, that's very true. That's true. Well, and it was funny watching Fosse Verdon. Did you watch Fosse uh-huh, Verdon? That yeah. she did that play that ran for one oh, performance? Yeah. 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 I, was I was like, like I, I feel you. I feel you. I feel you. Right there with Gwen. I feel you. So there's an article in Playbill. Uh huh. From when did this come out? December fourteenth, twenty nineteen. Oh my god, this just came out. Um, written by Logan Caldwell Block, who was uh, also a guest on this show, mm-hmm. uh, with a list of twenty two shows that closed on opening night. You have some good company. Oh yeah, yeah. You've Moose got... Murders. Moose Murders isn't in here because oh, it was not... a play. Like, oh. And Moose Murders, by the way, if anybody has a copy of Moose Murders, please send it to me. I desperately want to read that script. Uh, <laughs> what but else like, is up So there? there's Take Me Along, the right. musical based on Ah Wilderness, with Joseph Stein and Bob Merrill, I mean, uh-huh. like, and Rosalind Russell, or Robert Russell. Dance a Little Closer, which is an Alan J. Lerner and Charles Strauss joint. Uh-huh. Uh, a joint? A joint. They called it a joint. Um, <laughs> it's a show called Cleavage. We'll just skip that one. <laughs> Um, uh, Little Queen. Johnny Jones Revival, which is a George M. Cohen show starring Donny Osmond. That ran for one performance. <laughs> Actually, if you look at this list, a lot of these happened between 1979 and 1982. There was like this yeah. spate of shows. I think because going out of town wasn't a th- was becoming right. not a thing. Right. And they hadn't quite figured out what the other thing was going to be yeah. yet. Um, I think they could also take bigger risks at that time as far. Well, I, I don't think. Well, I, th- I also think there were more available theaters at that point as yes, well. Yes, that is certainly I mean, true. Broadway was not in a very happy p- place at that point. Yeah. But so, Glory- yeah, so obviously the thing that most people know about Glory Days, if they know Glory Days, is that it, it, it played, for an- played for one performance right. at Circle in the Square. Uh, and, but it is a show, what's so funny about Glory Days to me is the... The fact that it has a life, like a real life mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. and so much so, at this point, I have to go to my phone, <laughs> because I texted, before you came over here, uh, my friend uh, Kimberly Cooper-Schmidt of uh-huh. the Broad Wasted Podcast, who, when I told her, when I met her, that I knew you, uh-huh. squeed, and... <laughs> Was just and not just in the like the fun Joe Allen way that we yeah, all sure, do when sure. when you like know somebody uh-huh, who wrote a show that's uh-huh. on the wall in Joe Allen's, but she was so excited because she loves Glory Days and oh, saw the Broadway production of it. One of one of a handful, and she has questions. Oh, 
Oh, yeah. fascinating. So I, I opened it up to her <laughs> as someone who had seen the show. Because I mean, I've heard yeah. songs, obviously, you know, yeah. but I've never seen the show. So have you seen the Japanese production on YouTube? I, I saw it in Japan. Oh, there you go. They flew us out there. Uh, I mean, one of the best things about that Broadway production is it closed. And then within two weeks, we had a deal with the Japanese uh, producers to do it in Japan. Oh, wow. So there's nothing better than getting your ass kicked on Broadway. Right. And then an email saying, would you like hey, to would to you Japan? like to come to Japan? We're going to do it in the Japanese production. Wow. That's pretty, that's, that's a nice pick me up. feel good. That's yeah, a pretty yeah. good pick We'll fly up. you out. Exactly. Too. That's a nice. No. So we were out in Japan. They flew us out there for the opening. You know, that was a fascinating process too, because we, they asked us if we, they sent us the translation, you know, and, and you we were like, you know, it, it, doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be on a football field because mm. us be, you know, we were like, this is in Japan. They don't play right. football in Japan, but they're so obsessed with Western culture that mm-hmm. they were like, no, no, it'll be on a football field. Sure. Yeah. The one change they did make though is they don't know who Chunk from the Goonies is, right. which is mentioned in a song mm. in Glory Days. So they changed it to, to a Japanese character I didn't know, which oh. is funny because in the middle of the song, he starts making these noises and I'm like, what's going on? I love it. I love everything that's happening on it. Um, how many different embarrassing ringtones did you get through before settling on Ooh, Britney Spears? Toxic. Uh, yeah, the old people from. I love uh, that she knows that. The that's... the old people <laughs> from in the audience did not know why she was laughing so hard during the <laughs> during that moment. Um, I'm pretty sure Toxic was we we arrived on Toxic pretty early. Pretty fast. Yeah, we knew that it wasn't written in the script. I knew that we were in rehearsals and we wanted his phone to go off. And I I think it was nick i think nick was like we got to come up with some funny ringtone mm-hmm. and i think stephen booth who was the actor who played will was like what about toxic and, and so there you were it became toxic which and it was not, toxic which is well, was which just, by the way is my son's favorite song toxic toxic i mean it's a he good song. loves toxic i like toxic i don't know who introduced toxic to him very good question but my favorite is he had a birthday party when he turned three sure when he turned three they asked him at the birthday party. It was at one of those, like, you know, big yeah. playroom. They asked him, what's what your favorite he, song? And he said, Toxic. And he said, Toxic. And so they played Toxic for, like, the dance party section of the party. Wow. And all the parents on the side, like, what, what? is happening? Not hanging out with that Gardner kid anymore. <laughs> what was the writing process like? Mm. This you've this talked about a little bit with, the, like, New York Times articles and things. But yeah. just a quick, like. I mean, Nick and I started writing it um, the summer after our freshman year of college. Mm-hmm. Um Nick basically had 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 this experience with his college friends that summer. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, when you're a musical theater nerd, you start to write a musical about it. Sure. And Nick had written a couple songs and and I came over to his house. How old were you guys? We would have been 19. Okay. Or 18. No, 19. Um, We were 19 years old and and he he called me over to hang out and we... um, he played me Open Road, and he played me another song that didn't end up staying in the show. And I said, I want to write this with you. Let's let's write this. I had never written anything in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And Nick said, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to give ourselves four weeks. We're going to write a musical, and then we're going to do a reading of it at Imagination Stage because his sure. mother was on the board of Imagination Stage. Um, and so we did a reading of it, and I think it had like – I want to say it had like seven or eight songs – and it was like an hour and a half long. Hmm. A seven song musical that's an hour, an hour and a half, and a half long. Yeah. Way too much book. That's a discrepancy. Uh, yeah. I think the F bomb got dropped maybe as many minutes. There was F bombs. Um, 
and the show was called Ass Backwards. It wasn't called Glory Days. Oh, okay. I don't know why it was called Ass Backwards. Uh, we just thought we were being clever. Sure. Also, you didn't write out Ass Backwards. You just wrote SSA because that's oh, ass, ass Backwards. Got you. Wow. Anyway, um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, but it was clear, you know, and uh, we uh, we did it, and that was kind of the end of it. And then we the next summer did a a um, master class with Signature Theater at the Kennedy Center called Overtures. And one day Richard Maltby was there giving a master class and Nick came over to me and said, I want to play one of our songs for Richard. And I said, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. No, don't do that. And Nick is Nick is crazy, you know, crazy. He, he did, and it, he did yeah. it. And I remember he played Open Road and Richard said, that is a perfect musical theater song. We learned about each other's lives as we talked all through the night. When he thought the time was right He kissed me in the car Beneath the starless sky And with that kiss he opened up my mind And we went driving We were driving beautiful boy and the open road and went up to Eric and said who is this this kid he's awesome Mm -hmm. and so from there Eric was like I'd love to help you guys develop the show. And I don't even think at the time we were like, Oh my God, Eric Schaefer wants to do our show at signature theater. I think we, we realized that he was just, you know, kind of helping us out. And over the process of, you know, we, I was going to the university of Maryland. He was going to the university of Michigan. We were writing and doing edits via email. And I would go to Ann Arbor. He would come down to college park occasionally. And we would do like these table reads. And then we would go to Eric's house and do a reading and, over time, we just, I think the the project grew and grew to the point where Eric really became fond of it, and he decided that he wanted to put it in the season. Um, but, you know, it was working on it from the age of 19 to 22 mm-hmm. of, you know, working on it all the time. Yeah. And in these breaks, and but it was a lot of writing long distance. Sure. And then uh, it we did the production at signature and it was incredibly well received Mm -hmm. and I think it was well received. A lot of it was well received because I think people were just impressed that two 22 year old guys wrote a musical. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, and I think there was also a little bit of lightning in a bottle. I think there was that theater. It worked incredibly well in that theater. Mm -hmm. I think there was, there was no pressure of this is going to Broadway. Right. That wasn't there. And I think the energy that that those actors had in that space was was magical. And I mean, that's what I talk about when I say that that uh, Merrily is a really delicate piece of theater. Mm-hmm. Um, Glory Days is a really delicate piece of theater. It very easily falls apart mm-hmm. um, in the wrong hands. And uh, so, yeah, I think at Signature it was just it was it was magical. And then when we moved, we moved very fast. We moved like within a little over a month 
and uh there wasn't a lot of opportunity to make changes and there was also some resistance from the producers and from eric to make changes because i also think eric knew that the show was delicate and if we started screwing around mm-hmm. with it too much it, w- it was apart. just gonna fall apart yeah um so i mean there are tons of reasons i don't think it worked on broadway i think mm-hmm. because it was under the glare of those broadway lights and i think uh i also think there was an attitude in new york of well we didn't we didn't vet this mm-hmm. before it came in so and all the marketing was literally like look at these two 23 year olds look what they did yeah Look, these two 23-year-olds wrote exactly what they know, and isn't this amazing? Yeah. And <laughs> man, was that marketing not helpful <laughs> to us at all. Um, and I also just don't know if it was ever meant to be on a Broadway stage. Sure. But then again, there are shows that happen all the time now that I'm like, I don't think that show would have done well on Broadway, but it, you know. Yeah. Like, was Slave Play really going to do great on Broadway? And mm-hmm. it did, you know, or Passing Strange or, you know, the, these shows that um, feel like downtown shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I've, you know, I've I've had a lot of time to think about it. Sure. And uh, it's, um, I think there's so many different factors as to why it, it didn't, it didn't work the way we wanted it to work. Mm-hmm. And I also think it could have run longer had it had, the producers that it needed to have sure. um which note i i that sounds really bad of me to say that because i think john and ricky did as good as they could have done um given the circumstances but mm-hmm. i think that uh it just it didn't it didn't have the money that it needed to sustain itself for more than <laughs> that one day mm-hmm. so yeah i mean it's a but i'm also kind of grateful that it only lasted a day because if it lasted three days, well, it lives in this. Well, yeah, it's got this. And there is that thing. And if, I think that is why people want to do it. If I you're going to, why people? If you're going to go down, go down in flames. Exactly. Like it is. The, like yeah, right. You're not going to like sort of go. Don't down. run for six. Yeah. You ran for one. Yeah, yeah. What do you mean it ran for one? What runs for one? <laughs> this is, which is sort of. The, but that's the funny thing about like shows that run for one performance mm-hmm. is it's really kind of. It's a joke. It's that yeah. thing you say, like, "Oh, that play closed at intermission." Like, it's it's not something that you ever imagine Imagined happening. Would actually happen, yeah. but it does happen. So, yeah, I think I think that part, of, ironically, part of its success, subsequent, is in this like yeah. unique circumstance that you guys had, obviously, mm-hmm. which is. And I will say that I, we also got lucky that we had a cast recording. That we, yes, because of that Japanese production, we were able to pay for a cast recording. Mm-hmm. And because of that, oh, which cast makes recording, all the difference in the world. Yeah, yeah. Now it, you know, people can find people it. could find it. People listen to you it know. and go, "Hey, mm-hmm. this is great." Yeah. And that's why it's had so many productions mm-hmm. since then. So. Yeah, which is wonderful. I mean, it's funny that the, the the I will honestly say that like I never would have asked you about it had it not been for the New York Times article where you, you spoke about it to somebody else first, and I was yeah. a little bit like, okay, good. Like because oh yeah, you're you're. I, I think that I have no issues talking about. Well, but it. which it's is not which is I'm, which and, is and wonderful. People ask me all the time: Would if you could go back in time and do it again, would you do it again? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why I think it's you? made me the person that I am, and I think it's. Uh, I I have nothing but truly, I have nothing but happy memories from it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, there were devastating moments and being very sad. Well, but yeah. here's the interesting thing: is that I that week after the show closed mm-hmm. i spent a lot of time in the apartment that the producers had paid for sure and had like a week left and just wallowing in self-pity sure 
And I remember going to Lincoln Center and going to the library and watching Merrily We Roll Along. And I don't think I was watching it because I was like, this is a flop. I, this right. show was a flop. I just think for some reason I gravitated towards it. And I think that's why for, I really connect with that show. Because mm-hmm. um, I think watching it and then sort of putting myself in it, I, it was, you know, I remember sitting there in the Lincoln Center Library and like bawling. Mm. Um, but yeah. So that to me, that's why these shows, for whatever reason in my mind, are connected for but, me. Well, and it's also interesting to me that the thing you went through, mm-hmm. lived through, and have digested into your own experience is seems to be the very thing that the, that Frank is afraid of. Right. It is this sort of like lightning in a bottle moment. You two were obviously marketing wise at the center of it, mm-hmm. whether you wanted to be or not. Yeah. Like that's where the marketing team put you. So that's where you were. And you had what was, I mean, the thing that I always think about when, when, uh, when I think about it is, is the line from field of dreams. I really think you're supposed to come with us, No, but your wish, it'll have to stay a wish. I was born here, I lived here, I'll die here, but no regrets. 50 years ago, for five minutes you came came this close. I mean, it would kill some men to get that close to their dream and not touch it. God, they'd consider it a tragedy. Son, if I'd only gotten to be a doctor for five minutes, now that would have been a tragedy. And it is this long view of this thing. Like, it happened, and it is the you know, the Hallmark card statement of like, don't be sad that it's over. Be happy that it happened. Right. And what I've read of that you've said about it and what Nick said about it and Eric, it, it, it is this sort of like, it was amazing. Yeah. And it's incredible. It's it's sort of, again, because it ran for only one performance gets this kind yeah. of, it never limped. Yeah. It shone bright yeah. and it faded out, but it shone bright. It did yeah. that. Like it, you had the glorious opening and then, and then glory day, glory day. Yes. But it's the very thing I was tying it back into Merrily. It's the yeah. very thing that like, Frank has all these moments of sort of fear, not fear of failure necessarily, though it's connected, but he's he's a character. I wonder what you think about this. He seems to be a character who is very worried about being thought of. Yeah, he's worried about not leaving his mark. Right. But also being thought of as not smart. Like, being, like you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, he has a lot. He has the primary thing he wants, which is to leave his mark. Right. But he has a lot of te- – he wants to leave his mark a certain way in a certain time and be connected to a certain thing. He wants stuff. Yeah. To He wants it all to be part of the same package. Yes. And he's kind of unwilling, ultimately, to accept the one without the other. Right. And he throws away his talent in an effort to – attain the trappings of success without right. actually obtaining the success that well, he isn't it, wants. I feel like it's it's kind of the artist dilemma, but I feel like it's a human being dilemma mm-hmm. of not ever being content and being happy in the moment that you're in. Mm-hmm. And so for Frank, it's constantly, okay, what's next? How am I going to, like, you know, in that moment where he's playing with a, in a room full of, you know, these big Broadway artists and stars and he's at this like incredible party, you would think he would be elated in that moment. Yeah. And yet all he's thinking about is what's next, which 
I think we all have that. Um, oh, sure. But I think what Glory Days taught me was it's okay to appreciate this moment. And it's um, maybe it's just about this moment. And it's not about how does this moment. I mean, because if, if, if I was sitting there thinking, how is Glory Days, this moment, this failure, mm-hmm. going to lead to the next thing? I would drive myself insane. Sure. Because if you look at that on paper, you go, well, that was the end of that. Right. That was awful. Um, and I think it's sort of changed the way I sort of view my goals and, and life. And um, I mean, I think it's also interesting, too, that I think you could look at my story and also go, well, he compromised, right? That he he went and he he touched the star or he was like Icarus or something. Mm-hmm. He got too close to the right. sun and then he he retreated. Right. And I mean, for me, it's like that my dream growing up was to be on Broadway, was to be an actor on Broadway. I never was an actor on Broadway. I did. In my mind, at least I got to I wrote a show that was on mm-hmm. Broadway. Um, and then not in your mind. That did happen. That did happen. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, I don't I, I I. Well, it wasn't your dream. I mean, as you say, like it wasn't my dream. That wasn't your dream. Yeah. But it was, but it was better than my dream. It mm-hmm. was better than what I, I imagined could even be possible. So I got there, and I don't know. It's, it's all it's gravy. Made, I mean, it's, a, it's yeah. sort of like the, the 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 sort of sentiment I'm getting from you was like there was no downside. No, to any part of it. Like it's not. I mean, there were certainly downsides. Sure. I mean, I, I, oh, I think, sure. I think in the months after it, I was very much reeling from it and going, yeah. "What's next? What's next? I don't know what's next." Right. But I think now that I have some perspective on the way that it all sort of fell apart, I can go, this has clearly made me who I am. Well, and I think the- this has clearly led me to <coughs> to where I am today, and and um, and I'm happy with where I am today. I mean, the so. most valuable thing I think both you and Nick got out of it was that it shattered the illusion of Broadway at a oh, very yeah. young age. Yeah. So it's not like you very quickly understood exactly what this animal is at an age where very few people get that understanding. And I mean, and Nick and I have friends who we were, you know, other writing teams and Mm -hmm. other people that were writing around us that still haven't gotten to Broadway Mm -hmm. and that are still changed chasing that star and good for you. Right. Absolutely. I'm not here to say that that's not something that you got to have goals. You should strive for and you should do that. But um, it's just interesting to see that still. Well, and then it's not like you, the, the the thing you said that's that's most interesting to me is the like this was not meant to be a Broadway show. I don't know, think like right. I don't yeah. know if it was, and it, that there are not every show needs to go needs there. to go every place. No, it is not. It doesn't. You really and have. It, that's the one thing that I find really fascinating about young writers and and just th- this business in general, mm-hmm. especially as it relates to regional theaters and stuff. Is like that always seems to be the the goal. Yeah. And for somebody that's that's been there, I go, I don't know if that should be the goal. Right. I think the goal should just be to write something that's really great. Yeah. And that you're really proud of. And if it happens to go there, great. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I mean, like we were just talking about Slave Play, Jeremy O'Harris did not t- attempt to write right. a show that was going to go to Broadway. Right. He didn't. And yet there it is. Mm-hmm. And, and I think he's as surprised well. as anybody else. Yes, as else. anybody is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
But I mean, you listen to interviews with him. That's not he was not trying to write a Broadway show. No, he was trying to write a downtown, yeah, avant garde piece of theater. Well, and he did. Yeah, oh, he totally did. There, there's a but case, there's something that people are connecting to. And there's in a timing it, and, the, exactly. The thing that none of us has any control over at all in this oh, business, yeah. and the thing that I think terrifies everybody when you start to bring it up, yeah, is the idea of you can call it whatever you want. It's luck in yeah. a lot of ways. Oh, it totally. You wrote I mean, the right Glory play at the right, right time. time. Yeah. I mean, you, that was the season the right that that was the season that Passing Strange was on Broadway mm-hmm. in the Heights, in the Heights was on Broadway. Right. It came after Spring Awakening was wildly successful. There were all these things that like, oh, well, th- people like shows about young people. Mm-hmm. So this will this will translate, you know, uh, Circle in the Square became available because Spelling Bee uh, closed. Right. And that's the only theater in, in New York that that, that you show could have would done even it yes, have I was possibly say, worked in. Yeah. So it was just all these different factors that then resulted in. But I mean, that's to me what makes this whole process so fragile. Sure. Not just a show. I mean, that that to me is why Merrily We Roll Along is where it is in the, the history of theater as this giant flop. To me, is not because the show is a, is a, is terrible mm-hmm. it's because there are so many these little things that just did not click yeah i'm gonna swing it all the way back yeah. around on merrily and ask you what your favorite song is my favorite song mm. uh i mean i think it's our time really yeah i think it's our time hmm. i mean i love franklin shepherd oh sure i love but i mean the emotional punch that comes with our time i mean if i'm judging the songs in a vacuum where they're not a part of the show well, however you want to do it um baby. then i'd probably say franklin shepherd just because it's such a it's a fascinating yeah it is a I really mean, it, interesting... it's a i mean there there is mathematician sondheim right there oh gosh you know? yeah um the telephone's yeah. blink and the buzzers buzz and i really don't Absolutely. know what he does but and rallis barza in that yes. kennedy center production yes. just brought the the only I mean, time i've is, ever actually seen a show yeah. stopping moment where oh, like, the, the show was literally not going to go on yeah. yeah that was a remarkable yeah. thing to say i'm very glad i got to see that mm-hmm. um it's funny no one ever says now you know which is my favorite song oh show. i love now you know all right now you know life is crummy well now you know Okay, big surprise. People love you and tell you lies. Bricks can fall out of clear blue skies. Put your dimple down, now you know. Okay, there you go. Learn to live with it, now you know. It's called flowers will, it's called apples rot. It's called thieves get rich and saints get shot. It's called God don't answer prayers a lot. Okay, now you know. Okay, now you know. Watch your choices, call count to tens, call burn your bridges, start again. You should burn them every now and then, or you'll never grow. Because now you grow, that's the killer, is now you grow. You're right, nothing's fair, and it's all a plot. Tomorrow doesn't look so hot, right? You better look at what you got. I think you'll learn to hate now you know though when you have to stage now you know. Really? Yeah, it's not not it's, a very easy it's not number an easy to, stage. Song to stage. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Probably. I've yeah. learned to hate things that like I used to like day by day and then I directed Godspell. <laughs> I got through the first verse. It's the same song repeated forty times. 
and got to the next part i blocked it and i was like okay and then you <laughs> and you're like nothing happens in the song, the song. it's the same i was yeah. like you run into the audience damn it i didn't want to do this you run into the audience Just and start in. dancing and stuff like yeah evan Amazing. was my uh john the baptist oh friend. fantastic and lauren williams was in that she's saying bless the lord my soul amazing um what we're talking about we're talking about merrily yeah. so yeah yeah yes yeah. so i i take your point yes that staging st- staging anything can actually suck yeah. all the joy yeah. out of it um but i like it not only because of the song which i think is really good but i like so you are over at signature doing that whole thing you're also about to start directing a show at george mason though right? i am i'm gonna we're we're doing a concert production of spring awakening oh so well, there you go that's cool. I and like then, doing shows about young people for apparently. some reason. Yeah, yeah right. The, slightly different. Yeah, slightly tenor different. Tenor. Yeah, exactly. A themes. Little, much less a suicide darker. in this show. Yeah. Is there anything coming up at Signature for you that you're particularly excited about you want to tell Oh, I'm excited about, about the whole rest. I mean, the, the whole thing. The, the show I mean, we have. Just chorus line, you've got Gun and Powder Gun and Powder, which is yeah. wonderful, yeah. which is by two young writers, and it's really great. Um, I think you're going to see that that show is going to actually go pretty far, I think. Oh, great. Uh, I... I, I think it's a wonderful new musical and i'm always rooting for the new shows and sure. that's the, that's the stuff that really excites me at signature is when we're doing world premiere shows mm-hmm. but yeah i'm excited about our production of hair that's happening later in the season and then we're doing mama mia at the anthem downtown which is gonna be yeah an experience man i i it's gonna be it's gonna be cool it's gonna be a thing. Yeah, it's the right show to do there. Oh, totally, That's for damn sure. Well, there are only so many shows you can do at the Anthem. Yeah, that are gonna work in that. Right, it's got to feel like a party. Yeah, and I think Mamma Mia. Mia. Yeah, Mamma Mia does that. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, thank you so much, James. Of course, thank you. Thank you for having me. Something is stirring, shifting ground. It's just begun. Edges are blurring all around. Yesterday is done Feel the flow Hear what's happening We're what's happening Don't you know We're the movers And we're the shapers We're the names in tomorrow's papers Up to us man to show them The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn the original cast is on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Original Cast Pod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on all platforms at Unknown Penguin. Enjoying yourself? Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell the world. You can also find the original cast on Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, and wherever fine podcasts are available. My thanks to James Gardner for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. It's our heads on the block. Give us room.